A mission to Mars goes horribly wrong when an unknown passenger is suddenly discovered. Now, with oxygen supplies running low, the crew must now decide how to save everyone, or who to sacrifice. Sci-Fi Melody, Symptom 220, Stowaway. What do you do with an extra breather? What do you do with an extra breather? What do you do with an extra breather on the way to Mars? On the way to Mars. Hello, sickies, and welcome to the final episode of Netflix November. And we're doing the film Stowaway, a film from, I believe, boy, I'm already forgetting, 2021. So this is really recent, starring Anna Kendrick. And uh, I have to say that, you know, ex- again, once again, with the exception of Cosmic Sin, uh, these Netflix movies have been really. A better than I expected. I have been much more pleasantly surprised than I could have ever imagined. I don't know about you guys, but I did not expect to uh, um, walk away from these films other than Cosmic Sin. I was ready for that to be a garbage fest. But um, the other three films we've watched, I didn't imagine I'd be walking away going, hmm, I would watch that again. That was enjoyable. I don't, I don't know. What are you guys thinking? I think we picked three good movies to watch on Netflix. Um, and I think we picked one good movie to rip to shreds. They were overall. Okay. Enjoy. It might've been, uh, we might've just, we might've just kind of threw things at a wall and gone scattershot and hit our targets. But I think I'm surprised that there were this many when Netflix is known as a throw everything at the wall and see what sticks kind of streaming service. I think we saw a bit of that. You see Netflix original. Yeah, we did. But fortunately for the three that we chose of cosmic sin, um, or four, if you want to consider specter, we weren't let down. We weren't let down. It's not like we watched these things and thought, oh, that was a waste of my time. And I admit, I've picked some real garbage on ice. Well, this was so, another This was another uh, um, low-budget film. It was a $10 million budgeted film. But I, there, there's been a common theory, a common theme running through the movies that have been good this month. This was a four-person play. We had a a two-person play, a three-person play, small casts. And this is how Netflix is maximizing that. Um, Small casts, minimalist sets. Um, In in the one, it was just the house. In this, you're you're basically just in the ship, and you don't Mm -hmm. have very many sets on the ship, and you have a limited amount of actors and actresses to carry the play. Or to carry the the film, I'm calling it a play, but you know what I mean. Um, this is mm-hmm. a, this is a four person oh, drama. It feels like that. It feels like that. Yep. And uh, there's something to be said about that format. I, I think these movies are showing you to where you know Gravity was another concept where that was Sandra Bullock and uh, George Clooney carrying George a whole. Clooney. Yep. Yeah, I think I, for some reason I wasn't as interested in Gravity. I don't know why. But um, this one, for some reason, it it clicked. But there's other things, too. Black Mirror, as dark as that is, has some really quality stuff. And, and I think if I can add to that, 
it's that this is science fiction as it's meant to be. It's it's not even when it's pew pew lasers, there is some kind of theme or social issue or human element discovered or a philosophy or something which is indicative of science fiction. And it's always in there. It's not like we're watching uh, an Abrams film, got a dunk on him, where it literally is anything heady is not him. I mean, he admitted when he made Star Trek that he always thought Star Trek was too heady for him. And so he just dumbed it down. He dumbed it down to the lowest possible denominator. And, of course, we see that, I mean, he couldn't even direct his actors right. You know, Chris Hemsworth, or not not Hemsworth, um, Pine. the one that played Kirk. Chris Pine, he actually played a decent Kirk in a Saturday Night Live skit. It's like, wow, he can actually pull off Kirk. And you had him acting like that. Uh, you know, it's, I don't know if that was resources. I don't know if that was direction or Chris Pine is. I call pretty it direction. Much, Chris Pine because usually told play, him to act that way. Yeah, but Chris Pine usually just plays Chris Pine. Right, but he was capable of being a Kirk when told be a Kirk, meaning the director told him to not do that. You could be dead right. So, so, you know, he was being Chris Pine, sure, but he was being told to do that. Had he been told, hey, you don't have to go full on Shatner, but at least lean towards him, lead in that direction. He wasn't even told to do that. He was told, be bro party, dude. Well, I'd like to confirm that because um, Zachary Kinto, who played Spock, um, Definitely tried to channel Nimoy and um, uh, the guy who played McCoy definitely was well, doing he nailed it. He, he nailed, nailed it. it. And even the guy who but, was playing Scotty put a twist on that. But it was it was a good interpretation of that character was, with the over the top histrionics. You know what the ironics thing about that character, though, is that actor really is Russian. And you could have just used his natural accent, but instead they're like, no, we need you to thicken it up. Oh, you're talking yeah. about Chekhov. No, you're talking about Chekhov. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, um, and the guy who played Sulu. To, you, I mean, the only person right. who didn't <laughs> attempt to hit their role was, um, what's her and name, who played Ahura, and, um, and Pine, who played Kirk. All the other actors went out of their way to understand the role. And whose fault is it that they didn't enforce it? Director. Possibly, but director, if, director, director, all director, you know, no. Director. If five of your cast members, director. if five of your cast members are channeling the correct role in the remake and two are not, I don't know if it's the director's fault. Maybe that actor uh, wasn't just capable of it. Well, the SNL skit showed that he was. It was therefore the director. And for the money they were being paid, they can channel. Anyway, we're getting off topic. Yeah, now we're the just reviewing is, Star Trek 2009. <laughs> but the point is that those films were not Trek. They were action, fun, bro Trek. Whereas these films we've been watching are really taking a stab at being sci-fi. Okay, with the exception of Cosmic Sin, but let's just not consider that one. No, but the good ones, the good ones knew exactly what they wanted to be, too. They weren't trying to examine all aspects of humanity in the same film. 
And uh, right. they, well, they knew and they focused on that and they stayed laser focused on what the ethical well, conundrum was. Well, they also didn't do fell in the trap that Cosmic Sin fell into, which was, oh, we have a deep meaning idea that we want to explore, but we also want to be an action film. Right. Right. They didn't. Yeah. Uh, and, they didn't miss their point. Cosmic Sin kind of, had four or five messages that they wanted to discuss, and they ended up doing none of them very well. Because <laughs> they were trying to be an action film, like Thomas said. Well, they I didn't mean, know uh, what they wanted to do. This film pretty much knew its story, wanted to tell something, it told you it, and then it also did it in a suspenseful way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. But again, they didn't even the scenes when you got action or something, it's not over the top. Right. No, absolutely. Couldn't agree so, more. So it, these films by Netflix proves that if and Netflix has a hit and miss all the time. I mean, they throw money at about everything. So <laughs> there's about right. a million misses for every you know hit. So we were lucky to find the you know, hits in this case. But it, it does have its advantages if you're just going to throw your money at a bunch of stuff because you're able to throw it at something that no one else would probably ever greenlight. Mm-hmm. I think this is one of those where it's like, yeah, who would probably greenlight this one? The script doesn't sound that exciting. No, not off the top. Actually, you know what? Let's get into a big studio was not going to take the flyer at this. Um, And I think before you get into your summary, let me just say this, too. I think this goes to show an old theory that I've always had is that when you have less money and less resources, it forces you to sharpen your storytelling. And simplify and, gonna, and stay uh, focused. That, that's a. I'm going to pump the brakes on that because that's going to be a topic later, and I don't want to bury it. So gotcha. I don't want to give away. But uh, actually, before I even get to the plot summary, that goes to um, something you said, like a, a no one would ever take this, or this was not a, uh, an amazing idea. It's not a new idea, actually. The first. That's the first bit of trivia. It's appears it's based on a or at least appears to be based on a short title called The Cold Equations, written in 1954 by Tom Goodwin. Um, and it's based on similar stories published earlier than that, even. In fact, it shows up again in a rebooted episode of The Twilight Zone in 85. There's an uh there's a short film called The Cold Equations in 96, which is similar to this. And then again in 2011. The, the stowaway in 2014, all of them were more or less the same concept. And then uh, engineers were very outspoken that uh, there were poor engineering practice in the original films. So they made a, a, um, they made a sequel called The Cold Solutions to answer that. Point is, this isn't a new idea. It's been around before. It's been around the block a lot. So... But to that effect, it never really did that well. So I guess it goes back to what you're saying. It doesn't really sell well because if you look at the history, it's like, well, what is this? But um, the fun facts of this movie mostly are in the realm of scientific. The fact that, for example, um, it's mentioned that the spaceship is a cycler. Uh, 
And a Mars cycler is a real-life project to reach Mars using mainly gravity-assist flybys, which were originally proposed by Buzz Aldrin. And once the booster is docked with the cycler, there's no way to turn around and go back to Earth, since the cycler has very little propellant on board. Uh, it has some just for minor course corrections, which is exactly why the captain can't abort the mission and she was freaking out. Because it's, it's the case of, we can't go back. There's only one way forward. Um, in fact, the artificial gravity depicted in this movie can be obtained with present-day technology, and we know this is at some point in the future. Uh, it was first done in 1966 during the Gemini 11 flight. Um, the original script was going to be called Arctic, but it got and it was about being on Mars, but then it got um, scanned once the Martian came out. And the other thing we need to know, that I think that's fun to know, is um, all this science was correct because they consulted with NASA and a YouTube blogger and engineer and uh, astronomer and physicist, Scott Flysafe Manley, provided the consultations and did all the mechanics. So they did their homework, which comes out in the film, even if it's wrong, you can attribute that to the fiction part of the sci-fi. And I guess the final thing I'll point out is that there's uh, you can actually go see the set in a uh, in Bavaria Filmstadt, south of Munich. You can go visit the set. So, um, but actually, the so the science is pretty accurate. Now, the overall story I'm I kind of gave you the overall in the intro, but it's that um, you have this these uh, a mission to Mars. Zoe Levinson, David Kim, and Captain Marina Barnett. And they're going there to kind of just do the early things. Early things like um, testing out whether they can grow algae for food on Mars and other such exams. And unfortunately, they find that there was an engineer, Michael Adams, stuck inside one of the panels. This is the only moment in the movie where you're going, huh? But you kind of have to let it go. Otherwise, the story doesn't work. And so it just so happens that he was entangled with the air scrubber, the CO2 scrubber, damages it completely. And as a result of that, they have not enough oxygen to get to Mars. So the only way to do it is to take the algae that they're using to research food production and... Use it for, to produce oxygen, which means David Kim's whole Dr. David Kim's whole experiment is done. It's kaput. And then they find out in the end that there's not enough oxygen anyway, so they have to decide who lives. And they manage to get some um, O2 out of the other side of the ship, but uh, at the moment that they're trying to fill up the oxygen tanks, there's a solar event, and they have to go inside and hide, and Anna Kendrick, Zoe Levinson, she basically goes out to fill the tanks and sacrifices herself. Yeah. I've skipped a lot, but that's basically it. And with that in mind, before we get into any rips and picks, well, I think we I have, need to... Sorry, yeah. I, I was going to say, I have one question. Yeah. Because this is kind of a big question I had 
while watching this. Mm-hmm. How did he get in there? Because That's this is this is kind of a big point of it being that the whole plot at, seems to work fine for me. Like I found no real major holes in it, except it, for one where it's like he was inside of a panel. Yeah, with, with it sealed, which means and no one noticed it. Well, not just that, but. It was sealed. You can't get it in from the outside because the outside wall. And yeah, the only way to get into it was the front through a panel, which was screwed tight. It's it's the one, as I said, it was the point. It's I think it's going to be the major rip for all of us, because the question is how? Because without this, without this incident, there is no movie. Okay. And so there is no good question for it or no, no. there is no good answer for this. There you isn't would, one. You would think considering that they've got this plan down to her 800 grams of personal allotment. We'll talk about that with the prank with the Yale coffee mug. Yeah. They're going to make sure when they lift off that they don't have any extra weight on board. And the fact of the matter is that that means that when they've got people doing pre-checks, I think they're going to be saying this many people went on and this many people came off. And when someone doesn't come off of the ship, they're going to know that. I I don't feel like there's a way they don't. Well, not just that, but this is this is not like NASA doing this. This seems to be a private organization doing this. Right. Right. Because it's Hyperion or. Yeah, but. But that also brings up a whole nother layer where you're going, if that's the case, I would expect even more going on because this, when NASA fails, I mean, it's not good, but it's taxpayers money. It's not the business's money. If this corporation is trying to make money, something fails, that's money out of the pockets. Yeah. yeah. It's a different kind of accountability. All of the profit that was going on in this expedition is gone, which means that the share price just took a huge tank and a lot of wealth for the uh, shareholders and the principal owners have disappeared. So yeah, the company just took a bath. They're not going to be happy with the guy and, and paying for a guardian for his sister. I mean, this is a utopian corporation that uh, most of them don't operate this way. They just don't. Well, uh, that makes it, but you know, I, it's just, I that that just wouldn't happen. They, this Scott, also goes back to my point where I'm like, how did he get on there? Because if you're a corporation and I, let's be honest, you only have so many people working on a rocket because rockets, right. I mean, it's rocket science. So you have only a limited number of people with the knowledge working on this, doing a pre-check, you're going to count. You're be, your supervisors should be counting five people went on, four people came off. Wait, well, what? Let me ask you another dumb question. Other than the fact that he had to be in it to survive, why was he in a full space suit when he was working on it in dock? Well, and that's... The, there that's was no reason for him to problem. don that full space suit to crawl up into that cramped space, somehow seal it behind him, and then when pass out. Terra firma. He was on the earth. Yeah. Why yeah, would he be in the suit? Well, the other problem being, like, why would you want to get up there? Because again, he said something seems, about decoupling a firing pin or something. Well, yes, which okay, I 
Yes, but, but then someone, whole... but then someone sealed him in. But then, wouldn't I mean? But here's another problem with this: his job was to test a firing pin. So he should have been reporting in that that test was completed. When he didn't report in with the results of his tests, somebody would have said, if anyone was worth anything, uh, have a Michael, hasn't, Michael hasn't reported in on his results. Where is he? Michael? Well, well, should, Michael? Shouldn't, you shouldn't know where Michael is? Results. Because the results you need all green across the board. If you, you have a firing pin for stage two not reporting in green... I'm sorry, what? How about the fact well, that during the launch phase, they had a variance in weight on the ship, and they decided to just go ahead anyway? Yeah, which again, okay. if, if you're doing that kind of crazy levels of math, it wasn't a discrepancy that's like, oh, this is just burned a little weird. This is definitely an off by quite a significant amount. So it seems that we're not going to get an answer to that, unfortunately, because. And, and it doesn't make a lick of sense. It really doesn't. The only thing that could make sense is that the company is ridiculous. There's only two possibilities. Either the company is ridiculously incompetent or there was sabotage and someone tried to kill him. Because yeah. at the end of the day, and we don't need to belabor this, he was screwed into a panel and it doesn't make sense. Yeah, let me just throw um, one more thing out there. One more thing. Of course. They allow... Each astronaut to have 800 grams of personal items on the ship. That is. Why a mug? Why a mug? 1.76 pounds. They're watching the weight of this ship to the point that they have allotted the three people on it no less, no more than like five and a half pounds of personal items to bring on board with them. That's already been mentioned, yeah. And they somehow say. That the calculations are okay for this thing with its carefully mapped out gravity assist trajectory to have an extra like 220 pound dude on board. No, it's immediately aborted because there's zero chance that the mission can go off with an extra 220 pounds on board. It can't happen. Yep. Yep. That was already mentioned earlier. So, well, uh, there's also a thing with the whole personal gear where I'm like, really? One of them bought a bug. Yeah, you can bring a mug. That's fine. It's it's personal well, gear. You can do that. Um, yeah, but well, now we're now we're venturing into rips and picks. So yeah, right. I'll I'll yeah, wait. No, no, yeah, let's yeah, I'll put, let's back I'll it off. We're, we're going to rips yeah, and picks because because if we keep going into rips and picks, we're going to miss and it's going to be jumbly. Um, I will say this one, Scott. However, and I think. Um, I could be wrong, but as far as them taking care of his sister, there is one chance that they might do this as a face-saving measure to avoid the court of public opinion. Now, I could be dead wrong. I could be dead wrong about that, but that's the only reason I'm going to say that it is possible. Unlikely? Yeah, maybe. You would know better than I, but that's the only thing I can imagine because um, you also have to consider that the company, like you said, looks horrible. One, for as Thomas pointed out, he got screwed into a panel. And two, as you pointed out, Scott, 
How did you mess up that much weight discrepancy? Yeah. Uh, you know, Mark, I, I will I will give you the possibility that you are correct on this because this is in the future. And there is a yeah. shift away from shareholder value being prioritized to stakeholder value. And and well, stakeholder is a much wider term, which encompasses the employees and the customers. So there well, is a there and maybe in the future we have finally done away with the fact that the that the company's highest priority is to build value to the shareholders and moved on to the company's priorities to make value for the stakeholders. Um, okay, that's that's an angle I wasn't going towards. You could be right about that. The angle there's I a was movement going towards, towards was stakeholder just the capitalism, but. Okay. They, okay, that's one. I was just thinking court of public opinion, given how vapid and 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 horrible that social media is. Um, and and I, if, I agree. If you, find out that, if you find out that if you find out that one of their engineers got locked into the ship stupidly, and then they told his sister, who it's implied needs some kind of comfort care. They're ditching her when he was the sole income. It looks really bad. Yeah, it does. Twice and, over. And in a so movement, it could be a yeah. I agree. In a movement towards stakeholder so, capitalism, it makes more. It it does make sense that a major corporation could do this. Well, and I'm not even considering stakeholder. I'm just considering court of public opinion. But you you made a very good angle there that I hadn't considered. So, um, but I think. You know, before I, I just wanted to pump the brakes on that because we are getting in the rips and picks. But Thomas, you're very correct in answer, asking this question because it's the linchpin of the film. If you solve it, there is no film. So how did it happen? It's one of those rare times where I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm saying, OK, let it go. La, 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 because it only happened once. It's just unfortunate that their one time was horrible <laughs> if i can be blunt for all the reasons you guys mentioned but um this was a question scott posed on um in the pre-show and it's really good at exploring this and thomas i'm gonna let you you two guys put it out there because i really didn't have a great answer um why did they choose michael because you have three people on or excuse me four people on the ship now you have Zoe Levinson, David Kim, and Marina Barnett, the captain. Now you have Michael Adams. How come Michael was just assumed to be the guy that had to go? Well, you could go with training, for one. He's not doesn't have the proper training, the proper expertise. I mean, these are all... You need a high-level expertise and a high-level training to... I mean live in space, operate in space. I mean, the one small wrong move and it's over. So everything has to be extremely delicate and careful. He doesn't have that training or the expertise. Right. right. Uh, they all, the three already have jobs on this station. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that. And you could argue that out of the four, two are immediately should not be let go is your doctor, which is obvious. Medical care is pretty much always essential. Mm -hmm. And then your commanding officer being that there's she's normally, a pilot. Well, not just that she's a pilot, but being that the commanding officer is normally the one who has the most expertise, most knowledge, has done multiple missions, mm -hmm. flies. Uh, she's, she's the irreplaceable and, one. Right. 
So it's like that one is absolutely out. Your doctor is a real hard. You shouldn't let that one go. And then you have your biologist who is nearing at the end gets to the point where he could go. I'm not going to say shouldn't because right there, your two options now becomes the guy without the training or the expertise who does have some structural engineering and does have some knowledge versus the guy who before his allergy died, I would say is irreplaceable because the algae is helping scrub. So that kind of puts him in irreplaceable range because yeah. and it, I'm sorry, go on. No, I, I was going to say he's has some value for that. But being once the algae dies, I would actually say he has less value. But that, up to that well, point. And you know, what's funny as soon it. as, you know, it's funny as soon as the algae dies, then he's open to the other option of going up the tether to get the oxygen out of the tanks. Well, because once the algae that dies, only two a, people can survive. Right, right. But the point is, notice how all of a sudden he's open to the idea because yep. now, as you said, Thomas, well, of what value does he have to the mission? Correct. I, uh, I think that it was, I, I just wish, I'm not saying that they wouldn't have got to the same conclusion in the end, but I wish that there would have been more of a discussion about this instead of an immediate assumption by the commander and the two scientists that Michael would be the person who would be asked to kill himself to save the other three. Um, <clears throat> honestly, yes, the commander cannot, cannot be the one chosen to die because you can't land the ship without her. I actually find it amazing that NASA would send a mission into space with only one person qualified to pilot the ship on a two-year mission. Um, but that's another rips and picks and I'm jumping ahead to. But yeah, I was going is, to say that. Uh, yeah, rips she and picks. is untouchable. <laughs> And I would say the doctor is untouchable because now you need someone who can make sure that the commander survives for the two years back to Mars and, and back to Earth. Um, so now you have two people who are logical choices to be the one who has to be the, the sacrificed human so that the others may live. And this is the well, biologist also, who serves no purpose on the ship at this point. His purpose on the ship was to do experimentation on algae once he got to Mars. He wasn't even supposed to be doing the algae until he got to Mars. He was getting a culture ready to run the tests on Mars. He has now as little purpose to this mission as does Michael Adams. Does he have more training than Michael Adams? Yes. yes. But is he supposed to be trained to pilot the ship and do the critical things? No, he's there for research and he's been trained enough to live safely in space. Michael Adams, now, I don't think that the fact that he hasn't gone through the training justifies killing him because the biologist has. And I also don't think that in the discussion of which human should die, we were here first should be the trump card. And the movie presents we were here first <clears throat> as the trump card. Kim even says Michael was dead the moment we lifted off of Earth. Yeah, And that's wrong. He wasn't dead the moment he lifted off an earth. This is a real ethical dilemma. And I like the fact that the movie made it an ethical dilemma of could the three come to convince themselves to kill Michael so that they could live. But I wish that they might have taken that a step further and not only said, we're going to can we can we cope with killing Michael? And one scientist can and one scientist can't. 
and then tries to put sacrificing his research on the same level as sacrificing Michael. Um, and the commander's trying to make the practical decision. But ultimately, I wish they would have had more discussion as to which person it was that had to take the poison pill because they didn't. They just jump straight ahead and say, Stowaway, who was screwed over by the company and sealed into a panel, is the one who has to die because biologist trumps structural engineering student. At the end, definitely. Well, there's also a big factor of. I, again, I did not like honestly how this movie ended for the simple fact that I think the entire crew is now dead because <laughs> your, With the, your doctor is now, I mean, dead. I mean, radiation degrees, um, mm-hmm. which honestly, that's, we'll get into that in rips and picks. But um, the part of it was like, okay, so your current captain and leader of your craft has a broken or at least badly injured arm already. That you needs got medical treatment. Years. Right. You got two more years. The guy actually has stitches too, remember? And yeah. he has injury, which still needs treatment. Yeah, now no one can treat. You have a person who is very symptomatic to nausea, which He's having constant issues with this whole film, which now won't have treatment. And then also, those are the current issues. You have two years of flight. And what else could possibly medically go wrong? A lot. The commander should have ordered Kim to go get that oxygen. The commander should have ordered Kim because he is the expendable person here. Far more expendable than the doctor and Michael Adams doesn't have the training to go do it. Um, so I going to throw a spanner in the works here. <clears throat> Looking at NASA's website before launch, all astronauts are trained to use the medical assets that will be on board. There is not always a doctor on board. So some astronauts also undergo or undergo 40 hours of paramedic level training to qualify as a <laughs> medical officer. So um, the idea that, yeah, but a paramedic can do stitches in a broken well, arm. A paramedic can um, do stitches, but so, can a paramedic treat infection from the surgery? Can the paramedic treat secondary uh, impacts from the yeah, law, from can, the effects no, of the no, somewhat, yeah. So I mean, no, I don't know. No, no, no. If they, I'm making I'm a practical, if it's a, if I'm, I'm making a pragmatic if, decision, trained paramedic versus trained doctor. I have a trained doctor to give the mission the best chance to succeed and the three people left the best chance to live. No, I'm, you keep the I'm doctor. Just you're, you, you are can't. decreasing. You're decreasing the chances of living by putting the doctor well, no. at risk. No, yes, no, that's no, true. But I'm yeah. just saying that you're not to, to suppose here that, well, doctor's gone. We're all screwed. Well, not necessarily. No, no. you're not all not screwed. Necessarily, but the value is big difference. And also that, that, that's kind of, a good example of comparison would be, you know, in the military, you got medics and then you have doctors behind the line. A medic right. is not supposed to, is all they're supposed to do is patch you up good enough to get you back to the doctor or hand you aspirin. Most medics aren't even able to do much more than hand you aspirin, honestly. So there's a big, big difference between having 40 hours of paramedic training, which that's sure, something. I'm not disagreeing with you, but what I'm saying is the idea that, oh, someone's in stitches, so what? 
any of the astronauts well, could have taken care someone of. Someone is in stitches, but it, it's not just that they're in stitches. Those stitches There's have to come out. Process. You have to monitor well, for infection. No, you have to monitor for unseen there, second order. Again, they effects. can do that. They can do well, that. No, I don't the think idea a paramedic really can do that, Rage. I don't think that a paramedic is who I want treating my infectious disease if my surgery goes wrong. What if I have to? What if they have to go back in there to remove some necrotic tissue? The paramedic can't do that. I mean, it could be. I mean, there's the paramedic is very limited in what they can do. You have a doctor who can go in and do some of those procedures and those surgical procedures. Um, honestly. You're putting the mission at risk. And if you're making a decision, your your decisions in this point are supposed to be pragmatic and you are supposed to subtract emotion from it. And you're supposed to be doing a calculation of who whose survival is most critical to the mission. Now, they do that with the commander. They fail to consider that with the doctor. And you are lowering the, the chances of survival statistically for the three people who remain on board. If one of them is not the trained doctor, you just are. Scott. I'm reading currently a guide from uh, paramedic training, Guide to Infection Prevention and Emergency Medical Services. Since the uh, character, since Michael did not have an infection at the moment, so therefore we're not going to assume, if all we're talking about preventative measures, a paramedic could do it. Again, well, sir, do I agree you with you? Yes, but yeah. I'm just going to... Well, no, no, well, no, 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 no. Are you assuming right. now that for two years, nothing else at all is going to go wrong? I guess I'm they're saying at the end of the two years. They're at the end of the two years when that's going on. They're no, down they their last couple of weeks. No, they, no, they, they weren't. They're they, right at the beginning. They're, the beginning. they're, they're not even they, when on, they find Michael, on, they have they have ten days on, to figure it out. On. They're ten they're ten not even they're three days into the mission. They've just left Earth. Yeah. Literally they hang on, let me look at like something here. Thirteen days into a two year long mission. Do you get rid of the doctor? No. But the assumption that none of them have any medical training, well, Michael doesn't, but the other two have a degree of medical training to the, de- to the f- effect that you can't just assume, well, there goes the doctor, therefore we have nothing. No. Well, I didn't say that. I, I was saying, I, and I didn't say they didn't have any medical training because any astronaut has medical training. But the, the being that it's two years long mission, and and they've only started. You have two years to go. Who do you want there? You want a doctor there, period. I mean, there's a reason why they put a doctor under yeah, I agree. a three-man Again, I agree with you. Why are you – I agree with that part. I'm just trying to – I've made my point, and uh, you're right. Uh, okay. But, th- th- again, this entire side discussion we just had still goes back to you basically – we all agree that Two people are unreplaceable. Right. I agree with that. So we're all sitting here going, there's two people that could possibly be your uh, sacrificial lamb. And technically speaking, until, I mean, at the end, the doctor sacrifices themselves to get the last oxygen so they can survive with three people the whole time instead of just two. So for a while, though, you weren't talking about only one person having to die, but possibly two. Yeah, I'm wondering if for her it was like a, and I'm just making this up, if it was a Hippocratic oath kind of thing with her, like, oh, I have to sacrifice myself. But she it's never a really, it's a, it's a, no, she doesn't. I just, I was about to say, it's a, what I just said is kind of lame 
and easily dismissible, <laughs> but it was just the only thing I could conjure up as to why she would do that. Yeah, it, I don't know why she decided. The, yeah, it, it's a self-sacrifice that makes no sense. Yeah. Right. If it were, if it had just come down to, had it been the last couple, like, had it been a week or two, and well, no, even then that wouldn't make sense because then they're on Mars. Yeah, there's a lot of things on this that doesn't make sense because there's this big part of it where it's like she goes out and sacrifices herself in in a way that's like for one. Okay, I so I have an explanation for it. I do have an explanation for it. Okay, from a entertainment impact if you want to hit the viewers as hard as you can um and also as a literary i i I think device when when you're writing this script you're making the most powerful point by having zoe make the sacrifice one she's the one who's a story beat right she's she never wanted to give up on michael Okay, that's true. Kim wanted to give up on Michael the whole time to the point of trying to give him a suicide pill and talking him into killing himself before the commander gave the order. So now you have the person who was never willing to make any sacrifice other than his research to to save Michael, who is again going to let someone else make that sacrifice to save him. So he's now sitting there showing you his cowardice in a way that he's willing to let first Michael died for him and now Zoe for him. And Zoe is showing you the best of humanity in her ability to risk her own death first for Michael and then certainly die so that Kim and the commander and Michael can live. And I think she mentions that Kim has a wife and go home and have a child. She's showing you the noblest aspects of humanity by doing this. And, And she's the one that this sacrifice becomes most powerful for because her humanity has been on display through the entire movie. I get, you know, that, that, that does make sense. And you do bring up a good point. Literally wise and story wise, it makes more sense. And it does have more impact. You're also speaking very true that she does always seem to show the best side of humanity and is a, I mean, self, you know, doing things that doesn't always serve her. So it does make sense in that way. Mm. So actually you explained that one away pretty well. Now Yeah, you did. You did. However, I, I would say and I you know, this is really good rips and picks entry now. Because it sounds like we're ripping on this ending, Thomas and I. And I want to throw one out there. You I agree with Thomas Scott. You did a very good explanation as far as story beat. But I would tend to think it'd make more sense if Dave did it if he came around and realized he was the jerk and had like a redemptive arc there for me, that would have been on just for myself, it would have been better or better yet had they all just survived because that would have gone against the grain of modern writing of someone has to die dark, ready, you know? Um, so your explanation is good as Scott. I'm just having my own personal take on, I wish it had been otherwise. It, it, it could have right. worked with, with, with uh, David making the sacrifice as well. I, I, I know you don't like when people die just to die. I don't think this movie works at all. If they all live, I think Very it's true. a cop out ending. I think uh, the, it does, but that's my, but that's my take. That's yeah. for me. Now I, 
do have, I guess, a rip and pick. Being this is an interesting thing. When she goes out into this solar flare to get the uh, right, you wanted to mention this, yeah. Yeah, I did. For one, as soon as she walks out that door, she's dead. Period. For this, her to make this incredibly long trip, because they show it before that it's not a quick trip, and it's a very strenuous trip. For her to get up it again, but she just did this strenuous trip once, do it again, and to be being bombarded by a massive amount of radiation. Mm-hmm. So much radiation that she is literally glowing at points from the yeah, particles they show that. So this is not a solar flare that's like, oh, this is just one of those minor. No, this is one of those major solar major. flares that is kicking out all satellites around Earth for a while. This is going to be a knockout blow, you know. And you expect her to have made this trip twice now in a quick succession, and she's now getting radiated quite badly. She's not making it, period. She's going to be experiencing massive amount of radiation poisoning effects, making it almost impossible to get back. Getting there, maybe. Very unlikely, but maybe. Getting back? I don't think so. The other thing being, she's now getting that tank is going to take time. So it's not just a trip. She's going there, trip there, getting the tank filled, coming back, which, by the way, the tank is now irradiated, like, good grief, yeah. you decontaminate right. that tank. That's going to take more time. It's not like you can yeah. just take that tank and now plug it in. You've got to decontaminate that entire chamber that she opened. Because that entire chamber has now been bombarded. And the entire inside of that is now just covered in radiation. So there's that. The tank is radiated. Who knows how much of the oxygen has been irradiated inside the tank. And then she's, that's just like, whoa. So there's a whole level there that's like uh, unbelievable to me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, and I mean, they did show her glowing, for God's sake. So, yeah. And that's my point where it's like she's getting bombarded by so much radiation that this is very lethal very quickly. But yeah, it's it, almost it, as bad it, as what's her name running in uh in Prometheus after having her stomach stapled after surgery. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. But you know what though? I will say this. As bad as that is, a pick from that moment, it's a very well-made scene. Oh, it looks good. In terms of camera, exactly. The way it goes around her and then it shows her view and basically lets you know she's not long for this existence. Um whereas in Prometheus, it was survival and running. It was just ridiculous. Whereas this film let you know, oh, yeah, she's toast. She's gone. She's not coming back from this. Nope. And oh, it, it gave oh. you a good perspective. I agree. It was, it was a well done scene. Now, yeah. it, was it possible? Well, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, again, I, I think it shot well. It looked good. Again, my only point is 
it's unrealistic. It can be. Well, yeah, yeah. You do have to suspend disbelief to make it work. Otherwise, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a rip and a pick. I get that. Um, here's a so I ripped into the ending um, how I wanted it to be, but here's one. It's kind of a nitpick, but I'm going to throw it out there. When they're launching, how come their helmets are open? Is that normal? Am I missing something, or should that not be? Um, you don't actually need your helmets closed at that point. Okay. I mean, it's kind of, I, if you notice the punch out point, they did close them. Yeah. So, yeah. So that would be evacuation. I mean, the, you're in a sealed capsule with oxygen. And let's be honest, if the capsule blows up and launch, well, that's you having your, you closing your visor is not going to do a damn thing. No, you're, you're gone. <laughs> you, you're All sitting right. on top of a bomb. Sure. So. Okay, I just wasn't sure. It was one of those like, is should it be that way? No, it's not. I believe it's not necessary because it doesn't really do anything. Again, it's giving you oxygen when you don't have it, and if you have it, you're fine. The issue All being, right. again, if you don't have it, but maybe you have a fully sealed capsule, you have everything. It's just one of those emergencies if. It fails. Heaven forbid you have to punch out a thing. Mm. All right. All right. Then I guess that rip is kind of gone. I've got a well, pick. I- um, you get a good, and you don't always see this, but you get a very good, um, between the three um, main characters and the astronauts, you get an ethos, pathos, logos breakdown, where the commander is always yep. taking ethos with her authority giving her her position, giving her the authority to to make the decision. And you get David, who's who's logos and always trying to argue the logic of the decision, completely divorced from any um, emotion. And then you have Zoe, who is constantly pathos. And in this ethical dilemma of do you kill Michael so you can all live? When do you kill Michael so you can all live? She is always the person who is who's going with the with the pathos side of it. And then you always have David on logos and you, and it's, it's a nice way to throw that literary game in there too, to break your ethical dilemma down and to show you clearly the three prongs of that triangle to make your case. And if you put all the arguments together, then you should ultimately be able to come up with a, a logically constructed unassailable conclusion, but we know that doesn't always work, but I think it was right, nice yeah. to see that on display because you don't you don't always see the argument so well articulated when you're looking at these new morality plays. Yeah, it, you are absolutely right, Scott. That they did a good job of showing that. There's a pick I have since I've only ripped this. I'm going to pick something. The launch, the launch was well done. Yes, the beginning it was. of this, the beginning of this film was accurate. Shows everything. And the other thing being that for once, we've ripped this a million times, that most of these science fiction space films have astronauts acting completely unastronaut. That was one of my picks as well, that, yeah, there's more heightened emotions than they probably would have, but not that much. Right. It's like, okay, there's points where we might be stretching a little bit, but these are astronauts acting professional. They're acting, doing their jobs. They're in the middle of an emergency. 
they're talking about it. They're figuring it out. They're not yelling at one another. They're like, not freaking out and dropping F-bombs like they did in the movie Life. Right. They're not it, acting they're, stupid. It, it, it's a fresh perspective that I think is very well done. And the science was you know, well done. And it, it shows because there are scenes where they are literally showing you trajectories and map things. And you're going, okay, that looks right. Thomas, so like, you you picked like my it. best you picked my best pick with the astronauts because the way they acted calm and cl- you know when the captain was talking to David about using the algae, yeah, she looked distressed and upset, but not so much to the point where you lost confidence in her. And then David wasn't freaking out, going, but this not work, F bomb this, F bomb that. Rather, he was just going, well, we could do this much. And I don't know if it'll do that, but I'll get started. Yeah, well, and then okay. when he realized he had to scrap his project, he took a moment to look at it and compose himself. And then he's like, well, cut all the marsh mushrooms off because this is what I got to do. Yeah, in some ways, this kind of was like Apollo 13. Because Apollo 13. Exactly. A, a telling of an actual disaster in space. I, I mean, this I would, is a disaster in space. And it's like they're acting very professional in this too yeah but i would put it closer to first man because um uh neil armstrong was known as being very cool under pressure and these people were in fact one of the going back to the launch you mentioned thomas on the radio it wasn't uh yeehaw this or anything like that it was just calm cool collected well, uh, again, the calls just, were accurate too because they talked they, to exactly, the control and everything. Exactly. These, um, they weren't, you know, dispatchers, radio dispatchers, especially in aerospace or aviation, have been trained to be calm under pressure. You know, there was the movie Sully, and the uh, when they're planning on landing in the Hudson, the guy at JFK is flipping out. When, when you listen to the real dispatch, he's again, he, it's like he's reporting going to dental surgery um, yeah, because well, they're trained to keep it cool. Yep. Oh, I know. Well, yeah. I've, I know I've said this mission, before, but you've right. got that that famous one where the pilot comes on and you can hear the audio and the pilot's like. Attention, passengers, we've lost power to all four engines. We're doing everything we can do to get them started again. Please fasten your seatbelts. And remain seated. <laughs> yeah, because because they know if you freak out, the passengers will freak out. I'm just I like that has got to be like the hardest part of pilot school to just get that pilot voice. No, we're flying at 30,000 feet and we're having a lot of storms and wind velocity. There's some severe turbulence here, but we're going to try to drop down below it. So I just need everyone to stay in your seats and uh, please fasten your seatbelt. And even more than that, but it's, it's they're always talking like they're making an observation of this is a 1947 red wine and it's got some hoppy fruit notes to it that you can taste coming yeah. through, followed by a bitter note with a smooth it's finish. It's like they're given the weather report. Yeah. Well, well honestly, they it's weather reports are sometimes more peppy than sometimes astronauts and you know pilots. Like again. This is the nice thing that they got mm-hmm. because I'm like, I'm watching it and you're hearing for one, them reporting back and they're doing mission briefs and talking back. 
I mean, the biggest scene where the most shocker is where she's like, oh, crap, this board is fried. And yeah. she takes a photo and calls up Mission Command. And says, I want you to walk me through every option. Right. Not just that, but she's telling him, I want you to look at something I'm downloading. I think would screw. She's not screaming. She's not yelling. There's no panic going on in the right. way of showing it. It's just matter of fact, going through the motions and mission control the same way. Like just calling back, like you got, it's over. Things like that. Now, again, you yep. never hear mission control. Which is a but you have, pick in my mind. Which again, does, I was going there, that does come out nicely because you don't have that side of it where you wouldn't actually hear it. They always have the U pieces in and stuff. But you can obviously hear that, you know, they're not screaming or panicking either. It's a simple conversation going back and forth. Yes, I'm sending you something. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong. Simple. You, obviously, there's no screaming. What? Uh, huh? e, uh. Bleep, 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 bleep. No. It, it, it's professional. It's well done. And, and I like this film for that aspect, too. That it's got science right. It's got its astronauts right. It looks pretty damn good. I mean, really good effects. It, it does. It looks nice. I mean, it looks like I'm watching us uh, astronauts in space. And by the way, Science's not good with all of that. Not hearing mission control and not hearing the reporters and only hearing one side of the interview is a smart cost saving move. Oh, yeah. It's a uh, way to sure. maximize your $10 million budget. I have a pick that will lead to a rip and it, they dovetail naturally oh, together. That sounds interesting. I would like to credit the score and the score to me is a pick and the score is doing everything it can do to build drama and tension, which leads to my rip because the score is trying really hard (laughs) to build drama and tension that isn't there. And part of that is because they're accurately representing calm astronauts and logical scientists who are just following their training and have been trained and drilled for this. But the problem is, you guys compared this to Apollo 13. But what Apollo 13 did a lot better somehow is kept the drama high constantly. Yeah. In a movie where we knew they all got home. It's a historical movie and we knew how it ended and the drama was high the entire time. In this movie, for the first hour, almost for the first hour and 20 minutes of it, there's no drama. There's no drama. There's no tension. Nothing is taking. Okay, we find a stowaway. There could be drama here, but he's just a guy who accidentally got on board. He's injured, but he's okay. The captain has her arm broken, but she's okay. There's damage to the ship, but it's not going to kill him immediately. And then even when they get to the point of we're going to have to kill this guy. The drama's not there because they're not trying any solutions. They're just trying to figure out how to come to terms to get this guy to kill himself. And then now, they ratchet the drama up. But even then, it's still, to me, the drama still fails to... They call this a suspense thriller. And I don't see the suspense or the thrillingness in it. I, I think they fail there. I, I would agree with you because I don't see the that side of it. I would say this is might be, you could put it as... A suspense, maybe. I I don't think I can put it as a thriller. But well, yeah, a suspense I, I wouldn't science fiction. 
Yeah, that's a good way to put it, Thomas. I think a suspense is a good way to put it because two things I'll throw out there. One is you really don't know what's going to happen at the end. You know, uh, Zoe's sacrifice is not evident until the very end of the movie. Um, And the idea that someone will die. I mean, even I was thinking, huh, I wonder if they're actually going to all get there. You know, there was that slight belief. So there is a suspense note in there, as Thomas pointed out. Um, As for the thriller, why wasn't there the thriller part? Um, I'm wondering, and this is just a speculation, that they were trying to mimic the cold, soundless, deadness void of space. You know, when you're watching Apollo 13, they're near earth and they're trying, and we know they're going to get back. So you have to ratchet it up. Whereas in this movie, maybe they did a score that was more subdued to reflect the dead nature of space. Cause whenever the camera's outside of the vessel, there's no sound. So maybe that's what they were going for. Again, I am speculating I could be dead wrong and doing their job for them. I just think to but, have to be thrilling, um, the, the thriller in this is they're climbing a tether. That's about as much action right. as you get. They're climbing a tether. And that's true. It's and hard you're to be right. thrilling they're, when you're when you're climbing a tether and rappelling down the side of a, does, of a of a capsule. It does lack the thriller part because like when they're rappelling down you expect someone to break and have to fall off and they didn't now for me that was refreshing because it's done so many times it's it's cliche i'm not saying that it needed to be thrilling actually this movie this movie would have been made worse if it was thrilling i just think they should have marketed i just took a point uh i rip marketing this as a suspense thriller because what it really is is cerebral science fiction to me and that's fair that's fair and I would also I would also rip on the pacing. The pacing in this movie is terrible. The pacing in this movie is glacial, is and this small. movie is way too long. And it it should have. There's about it twenty to thirty minutes 20, of this that sh- yeah. yeah. Yep. Oh, we're in dead agreement. Thanks. Jinx, man, you owe me a coke. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, I think this is a good point. Unless anybody's got a final ripper pick they want to throw out there, because I want to land this kind of this whole month really with a question that got hinted at earlier. But before we do that, does anybody got any final rips or picks? They really, that's just burning them up. The big rips and the big picks I had mentioned. Okay. All right, cool. Uh, Scott. Nope. Nope. We've talked about it all at this point. Okay. So this comes down to the final point, um, having to do with, um, sci-fi and Netflix not just what we've seen, but other things like when we did Black Mirror Month and all. And that kind of evaluate, it's a question for this film and all the stuff on Netflix or any streaming service to begin with. Could these kind of films, be it this, Tau, Black Mirror, um, what was the other one, Spectral? Life. Any of them. Could they beat Life? Life? No, Life was October. That was that one um, that was very much a Hollywood film. No, could any of these films be done by a Hollywood studio? And I don't mean like, is it possible for them to do it? No, of course, technically, financially, it's possible. 
but is it likely to be done? And Scott, you hinted at this. The earlier. answer to that, the answer to that is probably no. It can be done. Is it done often? And the answer to that again is no. Gravity is an example of this being done by a Hollywood studio. Um, what, what's the one where the only crop left is ochre in the future? What's that? What's the one where the only crop left is ochre, and they're like traveling to another dimension? Oh, that was um, that was um, in uh, no Interstellar, but here's Interstellar, why that one yeah. got a pass. But th- I, yeah. That one got a pass because of the director. Christopher Nolan tends to get whatever he wants out of Hollywood. I'm just saying, it's he's you. The, you see those outlier. two movies. Those two movies are in this vein. Okay, they're the outliers. Yeah. Though. Would you see as many of these? No, no. Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and Apple TV uh, open up avenues to see these films get greenlit that wouldn't because the outlet didn't exist before. The outlet absolutely didn't exist before. And I will also say that you don't see these type of films because you're not forced into this box. When you have a $10 million budget to make a film, you are forced into a box. So you've got to think smaller. And when you tell your story, you have to sharpen your craft because you don't have it's it's, you know, using the rhetorical device of um, of only hearing one half of the interview and getting your exposition out about the characters in that interview by not hearing the reporters. You had to force yourself to think how to do that coherently and clearly minimizing the cost of the extra staff members and the effect shots to to get those uh, those questions asked. So. Could you see some of this science fiction? You could, but you wouldn't, because when studios have money, they tend to spend money. And when you have a lot of money, it makes it easier to cut some of the corners of classic storytelling. Well, there's, I think, a bigger aspect to this. And tell me if you think I'm wrong here, but Hollywood has to try, at least, to appeal to the broadest audience possible. That I was going to the same route, Thomas. All right. So you're thinking the same way I am that because Hollywood has to go a broad audience, Hulu, Netflix, Amazon, they're able to greenlight a project that's very niche because that their platform allows them to put money out there in a bunch of niche areas. And if people want to watch it, they'll watch it. If they don't, they'll just go watch something else they have. Yeah. But right, both, both ways. But both ways they come out because so, even if it's a niche, they get that niche. So Hollywood has to be to has to be wedding food, where you bland it and you make it where it'll peel. You're you're cooking for two hundred people, so you got to make it. Uh, you can't overgo on the spices or or the, uh, you know. Yep. It, you have to make it a little bland. You can't make it as exotic because two hundred people have to like it. Whereas uh, Netflix can give you the. Uh, can be more adventurous with their cuisine. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I would, that's exactly where I was going in the era of the MCU. You need now to spend more money than some nations have in GDP to a broad, to appeal to the, the broadest audience possible. And plus things like Endgame have ratcheted up the bar so high for intense action that slowing it down is not an option anymore. It's just not an option. And something like this doesn't appeal to the broadest audience. 
uh, whereas something like Netflix or Hulu, as you mentioned, or even Amazon Prime, they can take their time. They can hone the craft. It, it really comes down to, um, as Linus says about the Great Pumpkin, when he was comparing the Great Pumpkin to Santa Claus, being second best, you try harder. And, and when you don't that's have what the money to, to produce, when you don't have the money to produce a a four hundred million dollar budgeted film or a three hundred million dollar budgeted film, because you can't make that back on a streaming service anyway, you're going to yeah. you have to try to live on the niche, and and you have to try to live on the edges. Um, I, I had a sales well, manager who once told me he goes. You can do two types of sales strategies. You can go for the bread and butter market where everybody else lives, or you can look on the fringes where nobody's making an effort and go carve out your existence out there. And if you're the little guy, then you carve your existence out on the fringe and you get things like Squid Game or you get things like Tau or you get things like um, Tiger King. Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Or Tiger King. You get things that, I mean, no one else in the world was going to greenlight Tiger King as a documentary. No one. No one wanted yeah. that. Maybe maybe Discovery or TLC, TLC, Trainwreck Television, would have taken <laughs> it. But um, nobody else is going to touch it. And that's what Netflix allows you to do. And that's the, that's the beauty of the streaming services. It's not that Netflix is looking for more quality and, and Hulu and Amazon are looking for things of more um, highbrow, artistic, mm-hmm. cerebral nature. It's the fact that Thomas, you said it. They have the freedom to because when you're when you're building 200, 300, 400 million dollar budgeted films, you're not going to take chances. It needs to appeal to everybody because you've got to make that money back, which means you water it down, which means you make it more bland. And Netflix, on the other hand, can't win in that market. So it's going to look to win on the fringes and stuff like this comes through and they take. There's also one other thing, I think, which is. With streaming services, being able that they can get those niches. I mean, we've already saw one bad come up this month. So, I mean, it's not all good. We have to admit that it's a hit and miss situation. Of course. Oh, you're not. Yeah, it's going to be. We have to acknowledge that. So, but again, if you're only putting $10 million down and it misses, that's not the biggest loss. Yeah, you're not complaining. Netflix's goal is to have. Netflix's goal is to watch it. They're good. Yeah, you, you may even if they watch a ten million dollar flop, you still got something. And this is the other big thing I think: Hollywood, because they bland things out. Just look at Rotten Tomatoes. Some of their big budget films get bombed because no one likes it because it's bland because they had to dull it down trying to appeal to everyone. Oh, and it didn't work. Netflix. And Hulu and all these other streaming services are able to make something that sometimes gets totally ripped apart, but other times loved and will become cult classic because they were able to just find the right thing. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty much an all or nothing game that they'll play. So it's, yeah, well, it's risky, it's but it West. works for them. It works absolutely well for them because they're able to put that little investment here and here and just spread it out. And even if the fails are going to work for them. Yep. And, and, and let's yeah, look I'm at sure. it like this too. Hollywood is going to make 400 to 500 movies in a year. That's about, that's about what the average is down to at this point. Netflix, as an example, is trying to overload you with content. 
because their their philosophy is if we're if we're going to release a thousand new pieces of original content this year, we don't care if eight hundred of them are bombs as long as two hundred as long as one hundred and fifty of them are hits and fifty of them are things like Stranger Things or Tiger King or Squid Game. Mm. Yeah, pretty much. It's a volume game and- for Netflix. You just keep shooting. Well, and you know what? It's something, you know, George Lucas once complained about this, that, and, and he blamed himself a little bit for this, that, you know, after especially Jedi, everything just got more ratcheted up and the dollar signs got bigger and the budgets got bigger and that led to less creativity in the long run. And, um, you know, you put, you put the creative process, you put the, uh, the accountants and the corporates in charge of the creative process, and they're the most uncreative people in the world. So that's where you're at. Whereas Netflix has the ability to say, here's your 10 million, do what you want. Yep. Necessity is the mother and, of innovation. When you know that you've got to keep the film to 10 million and you can't get the 12 million you want, you figure out a way to tell the story you want to tell at 10 million. Yep. So, so I'd say that, um, Sickies, it seems our final evaluation of we will rate this film, of course. But Sickies, if you're going to look at uh, just any kind of streaming service, what be a prime with like uh, the expanse, which we highly recommend um, and uh, Hulu and Netflix, these these are good places to go for quality sci fi. You might Is have to dig be a bit. The best? Yeah, you might have to dig a bit and all of it's not going to be great, but if you're just if you're going there to look for good quality sci-fi, you'll find it. You'll find it. And don't be surprised if you're more satisfied with it than what Hollywood produces. I think that's what we're trying to get at. And so with that in mind, I think let's rate this stowaway with how many stowaways does it get? Okay. I'll go first. Sure. I think I will give it eight out of ten. Oh, that's a good one. It's good. I like it. It touches on everything we've always mentioned we want. The only problems I have is the stowaway part. This whole story (laughs) arc that doesn't go anywhere and almost detracts from it because the entire time I'm thinking, going, how did this happen and what on earth is going on? And that's in the back of my head the rest of the film, and it just kind of subtracted points. When your vital linchpin is the most nonsensical thing in the world. <laughs> so, yeah. It, otherwise, it's pretty good. Okay. Scott? I'm gonna, I think I'm going to surprise some people here on my ratings, but let me tell you, it's, it's a good film for an ethical dilemma uh, perspective. It gives you something to think about. It gives you something to to question yourself as to who you would be in this situation, ethos, pathos, or logos. Um, and for that, it gets high marks. It also does a good job with creating a character drama that you're vested in. At least two of these characters, to me, I became vested in with Michael and with Zoe. Um, it also does a good job of showing you with the people that it has, the different aspects of human nature with, with, with Zoe being compassionate and caring and, and David being uh cold hearted, logical. And with, with Michael being um the guy who thinks of others first and puts other the self-sacrifice, the, the sacrificial person who's even willing to consider killing himself for the other three people. And then you have the, the cold, 
pragmatism of the commander. Those are good things. But ultimately, this film loses a lot of points, too, because the pacing is terrible. It's just way too long. And as I said, for me, it failed to come up with any suspense or drama. Someone was going to die. The ship was going to get back home. And you didn't have... You didn't have the suspense of will the solution to save the ship work or not until the last 30 minutes of the movie. It, that's when it started to get any type of drama. Um, also, aside from that, um, trying to think of how I want to word this. Um, your linchpin, as you said, Mark, your, your linchpin is idiotic. It's an idiot premise. And you start to lose points when your movie hinges on an idiot premise that someone could be stuck in a full space suit and sealed into a um, compartment on the ship. And no one knew he was there. He sealed himself in somehow and got himself stuck and knocked himself out. There would have been a better way to do this. The better way to do this is that it's a ship for for four people and there's four people on there. And for whatever, come up with the reason why Michael's on the ship. He does the grunt work, as he says. Whatever the real, re- whatever the reason they came up with that he was there, what he was going to do anyway. And then have your solar flare short out a critical system, which led to the failure. And now you're in the same dilemma. You don't have enough. You don't have enough um, CO two scrubbing capacity for everybody to live. And now it makes more sense. There's not an idiot premise. It's like Titanic. No matter how far, I, no matter how I calculate the numbers, this ship can't float with its with um, five decks submerged. No matter how I calculate the numbers, we can't at this point get four people home. And you don't have to have an, an immense stupidity moment where you're trying to explain away this idiotic premise that you founded your whole movie on. And so this is a long winded way for me to get to all of this to say, I give this movie five out of 10. It fails to do drama. It's based on an idiot premise and it is rescued by some really good character work and an ethical dilemma. But I think all in all, this is an average film. You didn't surprise anybody. You I, mean, I usually give films like this a high mark. Away. You give fives away like penny candy. But I usually give a film like this a high mark. It's got a great ethical dilemma. I'm like a, I'm like a sucker for an ethical dilemma. How much stuff yeah, will I overlook if it has a good but you- discussion of the human condition? But, but you've one, given away so many fives, I'm not surprised when it happens. Well, what what is you guys' average film, too, though? Like, um, on my scale, five is average. What do you guys say average is? I don't know. I'm just saying you give... It doesn't matter what average is, depending on ours. You give away a lot of fives. That's uh, my aver- my, I probably do give away a lot of fives. Fives and so, sixes. I live there. Uh, I'm going to agree with Thomas on this one, an eight. Um, it really is a... I am willing to deal with the cold, not thriller aspect of this because it meshes with the, uh, the setting um, and the characters. You didn't have a lot of music and excitement going on, but you wouldn't. Uh, also, I was relieved that they took away a lot of the tropes. You know, when they were rappelling down the tether, nobody broke off and floated away. And you had to have some ridiculous escape scene where they poke a hole and pretend to be in their suit, pretend to be Iron Man as they're venting oxygen, which introduces three other Rube Goldberg contraption problems. No, it actually worked as it was supposed to. Um, I found that refreshing and um, it did keep me wondering because for a minute I thought they would all survive. Um, So, that worked and the effects were nice. The acting was very good. It provided the ethical dilemma, but I got to go with Thomas on this one. 
the two big points that were lost because the linchpin is just so stupid and unbelievable. Um, when I saw it, I thought they would explore how it happened and then they never did. And the whole time that was in the back of my mind, I would see it and think, wow, what a great scene. But why was Michael stuck in the panel? Or, wow, that's a really great idea. But why was Michael stuck in the panel? Or, wow, what a good way to get him, you know, to present the conflict that all good writing has. But why was Michael stuck in the panel? You know, it seems like that was a problem all of us were facing with this film. Um, so, eight. And with that in mind, uh, I think that we're, we could bring it to a close with Netflix November. And uh, what the heck, I'll just bury the, uh, bury the lead or spoiler on next month, December, which will be due over December. The sci-fi films, they got a redo because they were just so bad the first time around. So, and then that'll lead us into Scott's favorite month, trekking into the new year. So where Scott officially takes over the show and Thomas and I just enjoy the ride on the enterprise or Voyager as this case will be. But in addition to tuning in for that, you can also tune in to the other chant shows on raving lunatic media. Uh, we had the last Zodiac task force pop up uh, a few weeks ago, and that was a lot of fun. Check it out. Um, definitely. I would uh, say, take a look, tune in next month because not only will we have another episode, but we will also be having a little bit of a Christmas extra coming out. Uh, you also have cold case chase coming out case closed. In fact, there was a recently a new episode dropped today from uh, cold case chase, which was the, and I'm going to have to look it up because I always forget, I forget the name of this. But it is the sickening case of the Sedagaya murders, whatever that is. So also check out that we now finally have merch for those shows. Otherwise, if you want to you want to comment on this video, you or video this work here on Sci-Fi Melody, <laughs> you can video. do so at www.help. I screwed myself into an airtight compartment on a spaceship somehow from the inside. No, ravinglunaticmedia.com, ravinglunaticmedia.com, ravinglunaticmedia.com. Rage Master, what's left for them to do? Stay sick, sickies. Doc Antle, watch out for Carol. She's coming for you. <laughs>